0: Once again, I'm extremely excited this morning. Um, I'm just going to tell you guys a story. Um, I'm going to teach it to you how I get it. Uh, Where are we from? They say, get it how you live. This is how I live. And um, you got me. Think, Okay, some people grew up in the hood. Let's get it. All right. So I'm just going to give it to you the way that God gave it to me. Is that cool? All right. Here it is. The title for this morning is Our Hands Are Full. I believe that uh, the God that we serve isn't really interested in working with folks whose hands are full. The God that we work with, um, the God that we serve is interested in people whose hands are always open so that he can take stuff out and put stuff in, and take stuff out and put stuff in. And I think uh, Pastor Martin spoke a message um, a couple years ago in First Fruit that, that basically talked about how God gives seed to the sower, but God's not going to pry the sower's hands open to put something in it, Right? So today, all I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you a story. Hopefully, you've heard it before, but I'm going to share it from my perspective. But the most important thing is I'm going to do my best to teach, but I hope that God himself will give you knowledge this morning. Is that cool? Okay, you guys ready? What's the title? Our hands are full. Our hands are full. So I want you to write this down. Does anybody know what a steward is? S-T-E-W-A-R-D. at a certain point in time in... Uh, in dynasties or empires, when the kings would get, so, they, would, they would go to different cities, they would go to different kingdoms, they would like tear it all down and they would take all the spoils. Can you say spoils? spoils? That's the gold. That's the food. That's the things that are worth taking. And when they would come back, they would have so much that they couldn't really make an account for it. So they would hire someone called a steward. This person's job was to make a ledger, to let the king know this is how much you have and this is how much you owe. This is how much you have, this is how much you owe. But the steward was never responsible for how much he had. All he had to do was just put it in the right place. One of the problems that I think we are, we are experiencing is that when God gives us stuff, we take the responsibility of trying to figure out where it came from where it's going. And all we're supposed to do is what? Steward. Our job is to stand in the gap and hold our hands open so that God can put something in our hand and take something out. So this is what a steward is. It's one appointed to, to supervise Provision and distribution of food and drink in an institution. The reason why we have stewards in this point in time, the reason why we have stewards is so that they can take what we take from from a battle, what we take from a win, and we can disperse it to everybody else. You guys know what commonwealth is? A good king would do this. After defeating a kingdom, after defeating a king, he would take the spoils, and the first thing that he would do is he would disperse all of what he got to the people that were in his kingdom. That's why we believe in commonwealth. That's why we give. That's why we tithe. That's why we give our offering because God's going to do for me what he's going to do for you. Amen? Amen. God is not a respecter of persons, so he doesn't have any more. My faith doesn't work any different than yours. Is that cool? Okay, here we go. So I'm just going to tell you a story. So is a guy named King Ahab. King Ahab, is this, he, was, he was the king of Israel for two years. But then at some point in time, he was dubbed the new champion in evil. Now, how bad of a king do you have to be? For God to look at you and say, you know what, out of all of them, you're the worst. Out of all the kings that I've had in this land, you're the, you're the absolute worst. Like, it can't get any worse than you. So, this is the reason why he was the worst, king, the worst king in Israel. The first is that he married a Jezebel daughter of a rival king. At this point in time, one of the most disrespectful things that you could do is parlay or be in relationship with another kingdom. The worst thing that you could do. That's why we teach when you get married, it's extremely important that you have covenant in between the two two kingdoms, right? It's not that the two families have to be the same, but there has to be some common factor in between the two or you're going to have famine and things like that. So the first thing that King Ahab did was he went outside of the bloodline of his family and married somebody on the outside. That's the first thing. Because God, at that point, God doesn't just look at you, but he looks at your family. Look at your neighbor say, it's not always you. But sometimes it's who you're connected to. The second thing that he did is that he worshipped the wrong God. Once he became king, all the kings of Israel worshipped the only one true God, Yahweh, Jesus Christ, you know, the man that we worship today. But Ahab had this idea, you know what, I'm going to worship another God and this God's name is Baal. He made another decision after that to build a shrine and a temple. And this made God so upset because it's one thing to say that you have given your allegiance to something with your mouth, but it's another thing to make an altar and worship that. So it's one thing to say, God, I trust and believe that everything that you're doing for me, that it's going to come to pass, but I worship my bank account. God, I know that you have everything that I need. I know that I'm going to make it in school, but I'm not going to study because God cannot bring back to your recollection what you haven't already put there. Revelation doesn't just come out of nowhere. Revelation is when God shines a new light on what you already know. So King Ahab is the king of of Israel, and he's he's totally destroying everything. And at the cost of one man, the entire nation suffers. The reason why first fruiting, giving, and tithing is so important is because you are the responsible one for your family. You're the king of your family, right? We are are ambassadors. We are are called to go out into the world and change things, right? So we have to understand that the way in which we do our finances is going to affect the rest of the kingdom. If you don't pay MUD, what happens? If you don't pay OPPD, what happens? So a lot of us are trying to figure out why MUD of heaven is cut off. And God's saying, you haven't paid your premium. And I don't send water to houses that don't pay their premium. So you can write, am I talking this morning? So you can write all the letters you want to OPPD and MUD, but if you don't write that check, you ain't getting no power and you ain't getting no water. So God works in the same principle. God works in the same principle. If you want what daddy has, you have to live by daddy's rules. How many parents? You say it all the time. If you want to live in this house, you got to live under my rules. Man, I'm rhyming all, sign me. I'm rhyming all day today. If you want to live underneath, if you want to call yourself an ambassador and you want to put on the crown and call yourself heavenly, but then you want to steal my money, we're kind of confused. Is it okay if we talk? Is that all right? So King Ahab, the entire kingdom, falls to ruin because of one man. So at this point in time, Jesus had these things called prophets. you know what those are? They're men that were anointed to go into all of the world and to preach his good news. But also, they would be sent to whoever the highest level of leadership was, to give them some information from God. Because sometimes I felt like God was like, if I go down there, I'm going to kill him, so I'm going to send you. (laughs) So in this story, he sends a man by the name of Elijah. Can you say that? In 1 Kings 17, 1 through 9, we find Elijah in the presence of Ahab. And there's another sermon I could teach about it, but when God sent Elijah, he didn't have to ask for permission to be in the king's presence. At this point in time, if you just walked into the king's presence, it was your head was off. But sometimes I believe that God will send you into a situation with His anointing and not your own. You'll get it in a second. So he so he so he gets there to, to King Ahab, and in the first in the in the first verse it says, and then this happened. Elijah, uh, the the tishbite from among it doesn't matter how much you study these words still trip you up, from among the settlers of of Gilead confronted Ahab, and this is what he says. To Ahab, he says, As surely as God lives, the God of Israel, before whom I stand in obedient service, the next years are going to see a total drought, not a drop of dew or rain, unless I say otherwise. So Elijah comes and he says, Look, your ledger is off. You've been receiving power, light, and water, and you haven't paid for it. So anything that you've gotten up until this point is not because you're a great person. It's because the grace of God has carried you. Oh, my God. So some of us, when we stop tithing, when we stop giving, we think, like, oh, God still is blessing me. No, no, no. God loves you enough to carry you through your ignorance. Anybody ever had that conversation with your kids? If you want to stay here, you got to pay rent. And then they start to have an, a conversation with you. It's like, what are we conversing? I pay for everything. God is trying to figure out, like, like what I gave you the money in the first place. I gave you the house. I gave you the job and the increase. And now you don't want to give me what I am owed? And all I'm asking for is what? 10%. So so, so Elijah is talking to Ahab, you got to figure this thing out because it's not just going to be you that suffers, but the entire kingdom. Your tithe is so important because the whole world will suffer if you don't follow the principle. So then Elijah... He's talking to Ahab. And he's like, y- y- you got, you, ha- you have to figure this out. God then told Elijah, what does he say? Get out of here and fast. Head east and hide out at the Karif ravine. It's a place of water. A lot of us, sometimes we believe that when we're trying to, like, preach to people or when we're trying to show people, like, the right way, that we have to, like, try to beat them into submission. All God told Elijah to do was to go to Ahab and tell him what I told him. He didn't say go to Ahab and beat him into submission. He didn't say, go to Ahab and shove it down his throat. The only only way that some people will learn is when they see what you told them on your life. Your job isn't to make anybody believe, but just by looking at your life, they should be able to see there's something different. there's There's something different. I went to a fight this weekend, first one ever, and Virgil, you here? My man. We watched like 19 fights before, and... It was like, okay, that's cute. That's 900 fights. We told Pastor Martin we're going to get him a room at the hotel next time. Just tell him to come down when it's time to go. But there's something different when somebody knows who they are and they don't need a promoter to promote them. Like when they walk in the ring, I'm bragging on you, dog. But when when they walk in the ring and the entire atmosphere totally changes. So people are smoking, drinking, high as I don't know what, like lit, like drunk off their mind. And as soon as somebody that knows who they are come in, everybody has to stand in attention. So Ahab didn't have a respect for Elijah, but the minute that he walked in, God walked in the room. So the minute you walk into your situation, it's not you that people are looking at. They see the God on the inside of you that has just walked into the room. So when you walk into your house, when you get home today, you should step into that thing just a little bit different. You should step in as if what? God has walked into the room. So here's my first point. Write this down. My seed matters. So Elijah obeyed God's orders. This is the fifth through sixth verse. He went and camped in the Kareth Canyon where the water was. And in that place, God gave him food and water, gave him food and water and took care of him. Eventually, the brook dried up, just as he said. Remember, he said for three years, there's gonna be no more water. Some of us, God has told us things, and we're like, oh, it's, I, I don't know how it's gonna work out. And God's like, what I said is what I said when I said it. So it all dries up, and God gives him specific instruction. He says, Go up and go to Zarephath in Sidon and live there. I've instructed a woman who lives there, a widow, to feed you. Your seed matters. Because your seed speaks for you. Almost everything that we're going to read, anything that you read in the Bible, when God is talking to somebody, most of it makes absolutely no sense. So Moses, is what I want you to do. Uh, When you get up, I want you to speak to a rock and water is going to come out. What? Jonah, I'm going to tell you to go somewhere. You're not going to go that that way, and then a whale is going to swallow you up. But it's not going to digest you. Wait, what? Everything that you read in the Bible, because if you can comprehend it, then you believe that you can do it. So God's like, I got to put you in a situation where you have no capacity and no control, so you have to use your faith. So that's why your seed matters. Because when you give your seed, you have to give it out of the faith of knowing that what you're believing for, you have no power to bring it to yourself. Does that make any sense? So he goes up to this place, right? Elijah goes to the place that God told him. He goes to Sidon. The second point, here it is, I only got seven of them. Really short and quick. The second point. Your blessing is attached to your obedience, not the size. Your blessing is attached to obeying what God said, not how much you give. So in the 10th verse, so he gets there to to Zarephath. As he came to the entrance of the village, he met a woman, a widow, gathering firewood, just like God said. And he asked her, please, would you bring me a little water in a jug? I need a drink. What did God ask him to ask her for? Food, not water. But I think Elijah was like, if I ask this woman for food and she don't know me, like the police going to come after me. So let me just ask for a cup of water because it's a lot easier to get a glass of water than to get what she made for dinner. So he asked her for a cup of water. And as she went to get it, he called out, okay, and while you're at it, like I better do what God said because I've seen God like destroy stuff before. So let, let me just ask, him, ask her for real. So as, while you're going to get it, w- would you bring me something to eat? And she says what? I swear as surely as your as your God lives, I don't have so much as a biscuit. That's a bad day. You ever eaten a Popeye's biscuit with no water? That's tough. She didn't even got that. That's tough. She don't even have a she don't even have a biscuit. That's tough. I'll give you hundred dollars if you can eat ten of them in, in ten minutes. <laughs> so she says, I don't have so much as a biscuit. I have a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a bottle. You found me scratching together just enough firewood to make a last meal for me and my son. After we eat it, what are we gonna do? We're gonna die. So God is trying to figure out, so are you worried about what you have or what I'm trying to get to you? You only have a little bit of flour and you only have a little bit of oil, but I've sent provision that can give you all the flour and all the oil that you would ever need but you're worried because your hands are full because all you can hold in your hands is a handful of flour and cup a little bit of oil but what I'm trying to get to you is all of the flour and all the oil for the rest of the kingdom through you but you're so worried about what you have in your hands and I can't put anything in closed hands but she doesn't know this yet she's so worried about her current situation that she can't even recognize what God is trying to get to her That's us so many times. So as soon as the man of God stands up here and starts talking about money, we roll our eyes, but you're still broke. So until you have enough money to not roll your eyes, you have to listen. Like I'm trying to be ignorant, ignorant rich. Like when I walk in the room, I got stupid money. And it's not to buy stuff. It's to be able to walk up to a UNL campus and pay for somebody to go to school. So all they have to worry about is walking on. But I got your education taken care of. So that when a single mother comes into this place and they need food for their their family, I don't have to ask God and pray for things. I can just say, here it is, what you need. Is anybody in here with me? She was so worried about what her capacity was. This is all I got. I got a handful of flour. And, and, and this is all the oil that I got, so we're going to make this and die. But listen to this. Elijah's the funniest person. It's, it's so hilarious. So then Elijah says, oh, don't worry. Oh, that's fine. You can make that and die. That's cool. But before you do that, you can go ahead and eat that and die. If that's where your faith is at, that's cool. But the God that I serve said that you were going to give me that last biscuit. You ever showed up late to, like, Thanksgiving, the last biscuit, I want you to touch it. Please. I'm going to need Virgil to teach me something so I can knock you out so I can eat the biscuit for myself. Elijah says, it's okay. That's fine. I don't, if you die, it's none of my concern. I'm just fulfilling the word of God, but I know that he has something for you. So, Elijah, listen to this. Elijah says, don't worry about a thing. Ain't no problem. No problem. (laughs) Ain't no problem. Go ahead and die. Go ahead and do what you've said. But first, make me a small biscuit for me and bring it back here. Then go ahead and make a meal from whatever's left over with you and your son. So that means that what she had, she still had more than she thought. Oh, my God. So she thought that the handful that she had in her hand and the oil that she had was only enough for her and her son. But Elijah said, once you make me what I need, you're still going to have more. This is the first revelation that her seed matters because once you feed the man of God, it's not the, we get so caught up with the pastor has to be this and the man of God has to be this. No, 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 You, you, you can't, you can't, this is the reason why you can't burn a lamb and give it to God. You have to give to God through an establishment. Does that make sense? So when you give your tithes and you give your offerings, you're sowing unto God as you're sowing unto the organization. Amen. So at this point in time, God hadn't died on the cross yet so there's no the veil is still there so you can't just give your stuff to God so she had to give him the biscuit so that God could receive it on his behalf on her behalf but she was so worried about what she had in her hands if your hands are full I can't put anything in it oh my goodness so This, uh, 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 I'm sorry, he says, then go ahead and make the meal. Go ahead and die. Ain't no problem. Uh, This is the word of the God of Israel. The jar of flour will not run out, and the bottle of oil will not become empty before God sends rain on the land uh, and ends this drought. Here's the third point. Ready? Write this down. Is this good? Write this down. You are no longer responsible. The minute you open your hands... The minute you open your hands, you are no longer responsible for what's in it. Have you ever been given a gift that required maintenance? Do you ever have to come out of pocket to fix it? No. What do you do? You take it back to the manufacturer or you take it back to the person that gave you? Because as long as you have that gift and the other person is able, they are responsible for taking care of it. But the minute you close your hands and you wrap your hands around it and you claim it as your own, you are now responsible for making it happen. So a lot of us, we, we, we trust God for a season. You know what, God? I'm going to give this to you. And God gives us provision, gives us provision, gives us provision, gives us provision. And then there's a dry spell and we think that God is not providing because we didn't get what we thought we were supposed to be receiving. And Then we wrap our hands around it and God says, I can't do anything with your hands on it. Is that making sense? So here we go. Here we go. In the 15th verse, and she went right off and did it. Like as soon as he said, don't worry about it, you're going to have all the food you need. She took off. A lot of us, we wait. Like we wait for God to do something, and you got to use your, it's faith without works is dead. We believe all faith, but we don't do no works. And she went off and did it did just as Elijah asked and it turned out as he said daily food for her and her family the jar of meal which is flour grain how you make bread didn't run out and the bottle of oil didn't become empty god's promise fulfilled to the letter exactly as Elijah had delivered it so later on in this chapter the lady's son remember she said she was going to make some food for her and her son her son dies So God has already given her the blessing that she thought that she was going to get. But now her son dies and she loses her faith in what God already did for her. So if he did it before, he'll do it again. And the same faith that it took for her to have all that she needs to eat, the same faith is going to be applied for her child. But sometimes I think we believe that it's going to take something different for God to do today what he did yesterday. Like I got to do something extra for God to see me in a way that he saw me a couple weeks ago. And God's like, no, the same faith that you believed to get into school is the same faith it's going to take for you to get an A on this test. And when you graduate, it's gonna be the same faith because God doesn't measure us by how we see ourselves. God, God doesn't measure how much he's going to bless you based off of how you see yourself. Because if he did, it would never be more than enough. God sees you as you are going to be, not as you are. That's why in certain situations you have to affirm yourself and say, even though I feel weak, I am strong. Even though I can't see right now, I do see clearly. So after you don't become responsible of some things, I'm sorry, after you relinquish your responsibility, you can do some things. I want you to write these down. Number one, you're able to detach yourself from the subjective. The minute you give God the responsibility of blessing you, if it doesn't happen, it's not your fault. I think there's like a level of shame that people feel when they sow and somebody else gets blessed and they don't get blessed according to the blessing of the other person. There's like a shame that like, God, you've been blessing all these other people. Where's mine? But once you give it over to God, you don't feel responsible for if and when things happen or how they happen. Because this is how God works. The minute you put your hands on it, he assumes that you have it and he steps out. Oh, you got it? Okay, so then I'm going to let you do it. I believe that God is looking at a lot of us in our situations, and he's just asking a simple question. Do you trust me or not? Do you trust me or not? Name one time where I failed you. There are multiple times where you thought I failed you, but I've never failed you. I'm God. I have everything in my hands according to my plan. The second thing that it allows you to do, you get to detach yourself from the results of the situation. Because some of us, I know for me, I would give my seed, And I would try to, like, manipulate my my bank account or, like, my spending to, like, try to make more room for God. And I bet, like, God's like, I own everything. Like, what are you making room for? How are you going to make room for eternity? (laughs) The third thing that you're able to detach yourself from are are, are the battles that are connected to your seed. The minute you sow your seed, God automatically goes to work on what you're looking for. And a lot of us, I think, we're looking for, like, this physical fight, like, where there's blood and, and like, there's arrows and, like, like Bruce Lee, like, all this other stuff. And God just works silently, and he makes it happen, right? Because we believe that the God that we serve, he's, 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 he was in the beginning, and he's at the end. So God's just waiting at the end for everything to work out. Does that make sense? So here's the fourth point. Your seed has a track list. So after... Elijah finds out about the son after he dies he lays on top of the boy right he lays on top of the boy and he says God you know what you you got to do something because the people are going to lose their faith in me if I can feed them but I can't bring people back from the dead so you got to work through me to bring this boy back but this is the thing though the lady the lady remember the one that had the, the 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 meal and the oil she blames Elijah why did you do this man of God you're you're the terrible person Elijah, because he is working under the first fruit principle, he blames God. I want you to understand something. I want you to get something. She blames him. He blames God. But it's not a blame like you're terrible. The minute you give your first fruit, God becomes responsible for your well-being. So once she gives him the biscuit, right, a good biscuit, honey, and a glass of water because you're going to need it, the boy dies. He lays on top of the boy. And God brings life back into the boy, and it's another miracle. This is foreshadowing of what God's going to do later on in the chapter that I'm going to make a reference to, okay? So the fourth point, I'm sorry, yeah, the fourth point is that your seed has a track list. So just as Elijah said, two and a half years after this point, it's three years, right? Remember what he told Ahab? What did he say? He said, in three years, you are not going to be able to find water. So it's three years afterwards. And Israel enters into their final year of famine because Elijah was right. So King Ahab, scared, afraid, he sends all of his highest generals out into the land to go find any source of water that they can. Okay, a well, uh, I need you to toilet water. Like, I don't care where you find this water, we need it. Because the seed that I sow way back, that's the seed that God is recognizing. So we need to go find some water. Later on, God tells Elijah to go back to the king and prove himself. So in the 17th chapter, the moment Ahab saw Elijah, he said, so it's you, old troublemaker. King Ahab thinks that everything that's going on is because of one man, but it's actually because of the seed that he sowed. So a lot of the times when we don't get what we think we receive, we point the finger at somebody else. Well, if you... Well, you said that if such and such, like God's like, no, don't worry about them. It's your seed. Don't blame somebody else for your dormant seed. That's not, that, that's, 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 that's not on us. It, it's, it's on what you gave because that means so much. It's not I who has caused trouble in Israel. Israel, Elijah says, but you and your government. You've dumped God's ways and commands and run off after the local gods. Here's what I want you to do. Assemble everyone in Israel at Mount Carmel. The highest point in this place because if you're going to give an offering to God it needs to be glorious huge boastful like everybody needs to see it that's the reason why we give you the opportunity to speak about it it's not for people to hear but it's for God to see okay this person really means it because you can secretly say stuff in a corner and nobody's going to hold you accountable but when you say it in front of other people that have just as much faith as much or even least or less than you now you're head accountable to what's come out of your mouth and the God that we serve created the world in what? Seven days with, with what? His mouth. So the minute you say something and you declare over your seed, it has to be able to work. Because you're made, am I talking to somebody this morning? Because you're made just like God and you have the same power. So he says, I want you to take every person that is in the city and I want you to go to Mount Carmel. Here we go, Fifth, the fifth point. The fifth point, can you put it up? I think I have it wrong here. Fifth point, not the fourth. So this is, what, this is so good. So this is what happens. Build with what you know. Brandon, can you come help me, please? Look at your neighbor say, build with what you know. So the one way that they would create, um, uh, the one way that they would give their offering is that they had to build an altar. You had to build an altar. You had to kill a, a animal. And you had to put the, you can slide it, slide it down. Okay. <laughs> The one way that, that you were able to, to, for God to hear you and to receive your offering is that you had to kill an animal, right? You had to cut it up. You had to put it on the altar, and you had to set it on fire. And the way that you knew that God had received your, 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 uh, your sacrifice was if the smoke went up, then he had received it. But if the smoke stayed down and it hovered around, that means that God either wasn't ready or, or your sacrifice wasn't good enough. So, thank you. So. Listen to this. Then Elijah, oh, I'm sorry. Then Elijah said, I'm the only prophet of God left in Israel. There ain't no more. Like you keep looking for other men, I'm it. Like like you keep looking for people and I'm the one. And there are 450 prophets of Baal. So this God that you serve requires 450 priests. And the God that I serve just requires me. So this is what he says. He says, let the Baal prophets bring up two oxen. Let them pick one, butcher it, and lay it out on an altar on firewood. But don't ignite it. I'll take the other ox, cut it up, and lay it on the wood, but neither will light the fire. Elijah says, okay, so we're going to do the same experiment, but we're going to try to figure out whose God is better. Elijah already knows. So Elijah says, I'll let you go first. You ever played a game with somebody and they let you go first? That takes some confidence. Like, hey, let's play. No, you can go ahead. That basically means, like, I don't need to go first. Just go so, like, we can get this over with. (laughs) Wow. So then he says, then you pray to your gods, and I'll pray to my God. The God who answers with fire will prove to be, in fact, what? God. Then Elijah told the people, enough of all of that. So basically, for a couple of hours it takes like 12 or 15 hours like they're crying they're like, like they're doing like the rain dance trying to make sure that like that that the that the altar just like, like just just ignites and turns into fire and elijah gets so frustrated elijah gets so frustrated he says like you know what he ain't coming every one of us has a relationship with people that believe that everything that they believe is truth is truth and it's not and they try to convince you of their truth but at some point, as a good friend, you just got to say, you're wrong. It's not going to work. Can we try something else? Like, like this, it's, it's not, it's, it's not going to work. Like, when your husband doesn't want to ask for directions, you don't know where you're going. Can we please <laughs> just pull over to the gas station? Can we ask somebody where we are? No, I got it. No, no, no. Let's just, let's just ask somebody where we're going. So then Eliza tells the people, he says, enough of that. It's my turn. Say, it's my turn. I believe that God is going to start, like, literally showing up in our situations and proving that he's God. After everything hasn't worked out, he's going to, he, like, the word of God says that the earth is moaning and groaning, waiting for us to figure out who we are. Right? So in that same way, I believe that God is just waiting for us to figure out who, he, who we are so that he can show who he is to people through us. Right? So he says, enough of that. It's, it's, it's my turn. Gather all around. And they gathered. He then put the altar back together, for by now it was all in ruins. They had been there for 12 or 15 hours. So the altar is already broken, and God doesn't want to receive an offering on a broken altar. So you can bring the best calf, like this calf has never touched the ground. This calf doesn't even know what being hungry is like. But if you have a broken altar, God can't receive it. So you can bring the best first fruit, the best tithe, but if your heart is not broken in the right places, it can't be received. You ever received a gift from somebody and it was exactly what you wanted? but they had a stank attitude when they gave it to you? It doesn't matter what they're giving to you. You can't receive it because they're frustrating. You ever received a guilt gift where somebody just gave it to you just because, like, I got to give it to them because if I don't, I'm going to hear it at Christmas, then I'm going to hear it on New Year's. Like, so they get, even though it might be what you want, it's the attitude of the giver that matters. The same way it acts with God. Some of us, we walk up with our first fruit, we walk up with our tithe, And we walk away, and God doesn't see the mount that's on the envelope. He sees your attitude and how you bring it. So Elijah says to Ahab, you know what? I need to rebuild this altar, but I'm going to do it a, a, a little bit different. You following me? So, and they gathered, and he then put the altar back together, for by now it was all in ruins. Elijah took 12 stones. He took 12 stones, one of each of the tribes of Jacob. The same Jacob to whom God had said, from now on, your name is Israel. He built the stones into the altar to in honor of God. So this is the way that I see it. Can I show you? These are shoes. Everybody say shoes. These are pretty expensive shoes. So I'm into this thing where I buy shoes, I wear them, and then I resell them. Or I buy shoes, I sit on them, and then I sell them for sometimes two, three times what it's worth. What Ahab, I'm sorry, what Elijah had to do is he had to rebuild the altar, but God told Elijah, rebuild this altar with what you know. So before they just built an altar and thought that that was good enough, that we're going to put the sacrifice on it and the fire's going to come, it's going to be perfect. But what God told Elijah to do, he says, build, build the altar with what you know. So I want you to build the altar with Jacob. Jacob is somebody that you didn't know before. But Jacob is one of your forefathers, and I gave him a word that he's going to receive everything he needs, right? This is another one of your fathers, Abraham. Abraham was an amazing person. So as he starts building this altar, he's building with things that he knows. He's building with the faith of the other people in his family that needed it. Like, like, like so, so you don't, when you're giving your seed, you're not just giving by yourself, You're giving based off of a history of people that have been giving for a while. Ahab was giving, but he was giving on his own accord because he had to, he's trying to figure out, you know what, I've messed this up. I need to figure this out for myself. But Elijah is coming in the name of God. And whenever you're sent into a situation, it's not just for you, but it's for the manifestation for the entire mankind. So you got to start building with things that you know. I know shoes, so I'm going to build with this. What do you know? Look at your neighbor and say, what do you know? What do you know? What stones has God given you to sow on top of? At one point in time, I remember my grandmother was sick and God came through. There was a time we didn't have any money and God came through. There was a time I didn't know if I was going to make it through my college courses and God came through. There was a time where my car was just terrible, but I always got to work. I don't know how I did it. God came through. There was a time where I was sick in my own body and I didn't even have faith for it. So you begin to build your altar based off of what God did for you in the past. Ahab's, Ahab's altar didn't have any power because he didn't have a track list with God. The stones that, is this teaching to anybody? Ahab had no power in his stones because when he put the stones down, he just put them down. He didn't have a story attached to them. So every time you give your first fruit, you're building off of what you gave before. God, I gave in 2011 and I believed something and you came through. God, I gave in 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. I gave in all of this stuff, and now my altar is anointed. So, God, whatever I bring this year, whatever I bring this year has to be anointed because all of it is. So you can believe that what I gave last year, I haven't seen it yet. What I gave the year before, you haven't seen it yet, but what God wanted Elijah to know is that you're just receiving the goodness and the mercy that I gave to your family before. So where you are right now, you should just lift your hands and praise God for what you have because somebody thought enough to pray and to keep tithing and to keep giving their offering. My grandmother didn't have the money for certain things. My grandparents didn't have the money for things. My parents didn't have the money for things. And then I can't get upset because God doesn't give me the, like, what I think I should receive in my first fruit. Because what I'm doing is I'm just placing my offering on an altar that was already built for me. Okay, let me go back. Let me move on. Let me move on. So he built his own altar with 12 stones, one for each tribe of Jacob. It's a symbolism, God, that's that, that saying, God, this is, what I'm, this is what I'm hoping for. But I'm putting it on top of what you've already did for me. This is, this is what I want. This is what I'm hoping for. But, but I'm never going to forget how you blessed me from things. Because sometimes we can become so detached from what God did for us that we can think of it as, you know, as just whatever. But when you were in it, you really needed God to do some things. God needs the same faith. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say the same faith. So he builds a trench around the altar. It's it's not enough. It's not enough that he uses 12 stones to build the altar. He says, I'm going to make sure that when God shows up, you can't say he's not real. So he says, do what? Build a trench around it. Then what does he say? He says, I want you to soak the altar with water. Not once, not twice, but three times. I don't know about you, but soaked wood does not ignite. Elijah understands something. If I build my altar on top of what God has already done for me, anything and everything I put on this has to be received. So that's why you keep on sowing. You keep on sowing. Regardless of what you think, you're building a foundation for God to bless you on top of. So then, here's here's the next point. Fathers love when you brag. There's nothing that God loves more when you brag on him. Any young men in the room? You ever have the conversation with the homeboys, like when they're like, my dad can beat up your dad, and you're like, no, there ain't no way. My dad going to give you the business, bro. My dad going to give you these hands. And you don't even know it, but there's something about being able to brag on, my dad is bigger than your dad. So at this point, Elijah's just making fun of him. You know what? Not just an altar. We're going to douse it with water, and we're going to put water all around it. So then in the 36th verse, When it was time for the sacrifice to be offered, Elijah the prophet came up and prayed. It's not enough just to give your offering. All God God loves to hear is his words back to him. Parents, have you ever promised your children something and forgotten? What do they do? Well, you said. Once they say you said, you have a choice to make. You can either crush your child. And make them feel dumb, I didn't say that. And the child's like, I'm pure, I'm five, I don't lie. Like what in the world? Or you can go back to what you said and give them what they asked for. So when you come with your first fruits offering, you don't come saying, God, I, this is what I need. You say, God, you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above. God, you said that I am the head and I am never the tail. You come giving to God, telling him what he said. As a wife, you want to get anything you want from your man? I mean, I don't know how it works, but I would assume and be like, oh, you so strong. Don't ask for the Louis. You look so nice today. And just keep sowing the seed. God's looking for the repetition of sowing the seed because it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier and it'll work. It's a lot easier just to drop a big lump sum and think that God is going to bless you based off of what you gave. But what God is looking for, it's not how much, it's how often. Look at your neighbor. Say, how often? I gave once last year. And we're not, like, trying to, like, keep a track record so we can say, oh, you only gave so much. No, 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 no. We we understand in this principle, this is the only way that you get provision. Pastor Martin talked about it last Sunday that you have to prime a well. You have to give some before you can take some. If you want to start, you got to get here before everybody gets here. I played football for, like, three, four years, well, seven years, and I was I was terrible. But I realize I don't have to be better than these guys because they have more talent. I just got to be better than them on certain days. I don't have to run faster than you. I just have to run harder than you. So when we run 40 40 yards, I have to run 45 yards as hard as I can. Because coach isn't going to look at me stopping at the 40-yard line. He's going to look at how much more do you want this? So God's saying to, to, to Elijah, how much more... Do you want me to bring rain to Israel? Then the king Ahab. Fifth point. Father's love when you brag. So then Elijah understands something. He puts God's word on top of his anoint on top of his offering. He says, "Oh God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, make it known right now that you are God in Israel. Then I am your servant, and then I'm doing what I'm doing under your orders." As soon as this happens, fire comes out of nowhere and consumes and consumes the. Uh, the, this, this the, the sacrifice. In other words, God has now received what he put up on the altar. But a lot of us sometimes we would think the minute that God receives it that we're going to get something back. As the fire comes down in the word of God Elijah keeps praying. So as the fire is coming and consuming, that's not good enough for Elijah. He's still still worshiping God. God, you're still amazing in everything that you do. The people behind him are like, wow, there's fire going on. But he's like, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the manifestation of a relationship with a king so you can take all of this because this didn't matter in the first place. My relationship with you is more important. So as soon as the fire comes, because people are going to be really excited with how God works in your life. Man, you got a new house. Man, you got what you need. And you're like, I was already expecting that. But I'm looking for something so much bigger. So the next time you come to give, you're building on top of what God has already taken over. Can somebody say amen? Man, this is so good. Man, it's so good. So here it is, the seventh point. It's never too late to get it right. Tell your neighbor, it's never too late. Like really say, it's never too late. It's never too late. So Elijah said to Ahab, think about how dumb Ahab probably felt. You're the king over a nation. God himself has said you're the worst king ever. And now the gods that you have been giving everything to, everything to, you realize that they don't even exist. Did you guys see Batman when the Joker like set the money on fire? And he was like, you can't control me because I don't need the money. Think about Ahab. For years he's been giving all these offerings. In the word of God, that he, he even sacrificed his firstborn son because God only answers to blood. That's another conversation for another day. He was sacrificing people's firstborn children, trying to get the God of Baal to give him his provision. And now the God that he was supposed to be serving, when he first got into being the king, the God that he was supposed to be serving has now accepted another offering. Think about how he must have felt. I killed my son for a God that doesn't exist. I killed the people that I'm supposed to be ruling over. I slaughtered their firstborn children for a God that doesn't exist. What the enemy wants you to feel is shame when you give. Because that's all he has power over is how you feel about yourself. So when you give, there's like, anybody ever been there before? Would you feel like I'm giving? I don't really believe it, but I know I have to in order to get what I need. So there it is. But listen to what Elijah tells Ahab. He says, up on your feet. He says, don't feel sorry for yourself. All those things are terrible. I know, I know. I, I, I've never lost a son, but I can understand how terrible it is. But he says, get up on your feet and do what? Eat and drink. Celebrate. Because what? Rain is on the way. Can I show you something? This is my last illustration. Brandon, can you please come? So as I said before, this is my thing. Like, I absolutely, wow, I'm on time. Thank you, Lord. Because usually I go over and she texts me, but she's right there, so, you know. Um, so shoes are my thing. I love shoes. And it's a weird thing because I was able to use the first fruit principle in this to pay off some of my debts. So I created, you did an amazing job on Wednesday, Miss Nikki. I created a third stream of income through what I loved to do to pay for some things. Some of us, we create a third string of income of what we believe is going to give us money, and then we get burnt out because we don't love the thing. So my third stream of income came through shoes, and I knew a lot of people that would take care of me, right? So I would buy this pair of shoes to pay for this pair of shoes, and then the money that I made from that pair of shoes would go towards my loan on my car. Then I would take this pair of shoes for that pair of shoes, and the money that I made from this pair of shoes went to the loan on my car. And then I just started, it it became a cycle where God was beginning to bless me through the work I was doing. So I wasn't just sitting there like, God, you're going to pay this loan off. No, my faith is working and what? I'm working. So I'm going to start working this thing until until you show up. So that means if you don't show up, it doesn't mean he's not real. It just means I got to keep on working. Lord, have mercy. So until I hear what you said, I'm just going to keep on doing what I know to do. And until you, so I honestly believe that Elijah would have kept getting all those stones until God moved. Oh, that's not enough stones? Okay, I'm not going to lose my faith because I haven't seen fire yet. I'm just going to go find some more stones. I'm just going to go find some more stones. And until I'm done, I'm going to keep doing, we get so fed up. And we think that because we've stopped, like we just stop sowing because God doesn't show up. But all God's looking for is consistency in your giving. Because at some point in time. The loan officer that I got the loan for for my car, they were coming to collect. Is this touching anybody? They were coming to collect, but I had to keep working. But listen, this is where I messed up. I started getting really excited with what was coming in the boxes. And I forgot the principle of why I started. So I started taking the shoes that I thought were pretty, and I I started holding them. Man, these shoes are sick. Man, I got a fit for this. I'm going to hold that pair too. Oh, man, these are dope. Man, I remember I wanted these when I was in high school, and my, my, my parents said if I wanted them, I had to get them myself. And now I can have them? Are they going to come out for another 10 years? Oh, I got to keep these. What? Pressed off whites? Dude, you know how much these are? Oh, I got I got to keep these. So I started to not use the principle that I started in the beginning. Remember what the principle was before? I took what I had, I gave it, I sold it, I took the money and gave it back. Once you stop sewing, you clog up the system. And now it gets to the point where what you love overtakes you. Now, can 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 I explain something to you? This shoe right here, and you might not get it, but you might, you might. There's a man by the name of Sean Weatherspoon. This shoe right now, is extremely expensive <laughs> this shoe is extremely expensive long story short is it getting heavy yet Yeah. it's getting hard to balance because now you're responsible for balancing it man it's so good so I went to Chicago for a sneaker con so basically it's where people literally worship shoes people will we walked in and a guy sold his entire merchandising table for 25 grand in like 10 seconds somebody said how much 12 grand, a guy opened up a wallet and like didn't, he pulled out cash, like the rubber band man, but he wasn't selling, he was selling shoes, so as they're walking around, what happens is, is that as they're walking around, these people walk around with the shoes like this, they walk around, there's 10,000 people in an arena, and they walk around like this, they walk around with an altar and a sacrifice, and they're looking for somebody to invest in it. Oh my goodness. So I only came to a sneaker con for one item. This is all I wanted. This is it. And I would start asking people, amen, what size is that? 11 and a half. What size is that? 10 and a half. I'm an 11. I need an 11, and I ain't gonna put no 13 on and double socket. I ain't gonna put no 10 and a half on and have my toes like this. I'm crip walking. No. <laughs> Feet throwing up gang signs, got corns. No. Give me what I want and what I expected. Stop settling for what you think is the blessing of God and what he actually wants to give you. Cuz a lot of the things that are working out in your life, it's not the blessing of God. It's just an appetizer waiting for the main course. So you see something good happen for a little bit and you're like, "Oh, God is good." And God's like, "Baby, you don't even you don't even know." God said to me, "I have your size. Just keep waiting." So I waited for the entire event and finally my shoe my shoe size came around. These are the shoes that I brought with me to sell. So then the guy comes up to me and he says, "Uh, what do you want? I said, I want the pair of shoes, duh. What do you think? He says, well, you can either give me your cash or you can give me all the shoes that that you've got today. In that moment, I had to make a decision. Is what he has to offer worth the best of what I've got? First fruit is a simple decision. Is what God has for you worth? The best that you have. Because this pair of shoes, this pair of shoes is worth all of these shoes combined at resale. That gives you an understanding of how much this shoe is worth. But if I wanted to give it to him, take it. Take, just, just give. open your hands. Give, come on, grab the shoe. Grab the shoe. I'm trying to get it to you. He can't because his hands are full. So in order to receive the provision of God, what do you have to do? You have to make an exchange. So then what happens after the exchange? He takes what I, what I gave him. He gives me the cash. Then what do I do? I go back to the same principle I was using before. I sell this shoe, get another one, and get the shoes that I wanted before. Thank you. First fruit is all about the exchange. Is what God has for you, is it worth you giving him everything that you have? We, we, we speak about it as if it's like a deficit. Come humbly and like, like give God everything that you have and be humble. And like if you're poor, God loves you even more. I and mean, God wants you to be ignorant rich. Say ignorant rich. To so the point of where you walk into situations and there's no need for a board meeting, you just write a check. When you walk into your family and there are kids in your family that can't go to school, you say, stop worrying about it. I got you. Look at your neighbor. Say, is what God has for you? Has for you. Look at your neighbor for real. Don't talk to him on the side of your neck. Give him a minute if they breath stink. Is what God, what God has for you worth all that you have? The kingdom of God works like this. It says that a man was in a field, his own field. He was digging in. What did he find? He finds pearls or a treasure. And what does he do? He goes and he sells everything for the one. So if all you have is two fish and five loaves, well, I need to eat, so let me give you one fish and four. No, give me everything. Is that good? The last point is that it's never too late. Afterwards, Ahab did it. He got up and ate and drank. Meanwhile, Elijah climbed up to the top of Carmel, the top of the mountain. He bowed deeply in prayer, his face between his knees. Then he said to his young servant, on your feet now and look toward the sea. Once you give your offering and you receive something from it, your job isn't to go and like hold it like, man, I got the pair of shoes. Your job is to go into worship and say, God, thank you so much for what you're doing for me. Because the minute you start to covet the thing, God can't get because now if I'm holding this, he can't put anything else in my hands. So right where you are, just lift your hands and just, and just say, God, my hands are open. You talk to him. Don't don't look for me. God, like my hands are open. Like whatever is in them that's keeping you from blessing me, whatever in them, like God, I just give you the, 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 the opportunity to take them out of my hands. Come on. Right where you are. Come on. Lift it up. I give you the opportunity, God. I come to you with empty hands. And my empty hands doesn't signify that I'm poor. It just means that I'm ready for whatever you got for me. (laughs) So I got to finish the story and then Pastor's going to come. I got to finish the story. So now I'm in a place where people come to me for shoes. And I don't have them. I just know somebody. I need a size 11. Okay, bet. Once you receive the offering, God is going to begin to give you provision to make a way for other people. But a lot of people won't believe it until they see you blessed. So we have to destroy that thinking that God doesn't want me blessed. No, 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 baby. Because some of the people in your life aren't going to believe in God until they see you blessed. Amen? Amen. The first fruit offering, tithing and offering is a way for you to release something and for God to give you something. But you won't get it with your hands closed.